Today is Thursday, January 21st. The title for our devotional is Reason Enough to Limit Our Freedom. In the second section of Romans 14, we see Paul continuing his reasoning for the Roman Christians to have grace for one another and not pass judgment on this matter. When it comes to these disputable matters, he has already said that they should not pass judgment on one another or despise one another. They are free to take either position and should continue to participate in community together with one another. In 13 through 23, he adds another consideration into the equation. He writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for ever anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul here transitions to primarily speaking to the strong. Essentially, he calls them to personally restrict their freedom for the betterment of the weak. They are to be aware of how their actions may be affecting other believers. They are to never put a stumbling block in the way of another or destroy the one for whom Christ died. That is, not to do anything that might cause them to fall away from saving faith in Jesus. He calls them back to love as the basis of their Christian ethic. They may be right in their theology, but if they are not acting in love, they are wrong. They are to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. In the midst of this discussion, Paul makes it abundantly clear what the truth of the matter is. The truth is that they are free from the dietary laws and the Sabbath laws in Christ. He confirms to the strong that they are indeed correct. He even tells them not to let what they regard as good be spoken of as evil. This is likely a reference to the freedom that they have in the gospel since verse 17 speaks of the kingdom of God. In verse 22, Paul declares a blessing on those who are free to eat whatever they want without feeling guilty about it. Yet, it's so much more complicated than that. For those whose conscience convicts them about eating meat that, they have, that may have been sacrificed to an idol or prepared in a non-kosher manner, it is sin for them. Whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. That is, if someone is convicted about eating the meat but eats it anyways, for them, it is sin. He concludes then with a broader blanket statement. 
for whoever does not for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is a big statement that we should all pause when we read it. What does he mean here? This statement particularly harkens back to his theology articulated throughout the book. First he says in Romans 1:16 through 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Humanity in its lost state has lost faith and trust in God. The righteousness of the believer is through faith in Jesus. When the believer believes in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to her. If that is the case, then any righteous actions must come through faith. To make this point later in the book, he shares the story of Abraham and how he was justified by faith, not by his works. Check out Romans 4 there. Therefore, all of our actions that we take, especially in the context of these disputable matters, must proceed from our trust in the freedom that Christ has won for us. On this matter, R.C. Sproul writes in his commentary, We should strive to get our consciences in line with the word of God and continually seek to refine our own moral codes to bring them into conformity to the mind of Christ, so that we don't have this problem of not knowing what God approves and what God forbids." End quote. This position reflects the fluid nature of this conversation in the early church. At the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, the apostles debate the issue and conclude, quote, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. End quote. See Acts 15, 28 for that. There were many different opinions expressed at this council, and they concluded that since it is not a matter of salvation, each individual Christian has the freedom to decide how they will act with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and his conviction, within some certain parameters that they include in the letter. Tomorrow, we'll look at some examples that will hopefully clarify this teaching for us as we apply it to today. For additional content today, I've included more of the Bible Project podcast on the family of God. Enjoy. Uh, so uh, let's look at the pattern. The pattern in Acts is the Holy Spirit, who's sent by Jesus, in chapter, he said in chapter 1, um, and the Father, is going to come in your midst and surprising things start to happen. That's Pentecost, that's the Samaritans, that's Cornelius, and so on. And what those surprising things are is they challenge people's conceptions about who's included in God's family. And it keeps getting wider and wider, not so wide or ambiguous that it, there's no like call to actually follow Jesus. There is. But the point is, is that the amount of barriers, in addition to just trusting and following Jesus, the Holy Spirit keeps just <laughs> overriding them. Mm. And it's very uncomfortable <laughs> for these people. And yeah. Luke is turning up the volume on, on that discomfort. Yes, to be empathetic, you've grown up... And for generations upon generations, this has been mm. how you mm. show your allegiance yeah. to the God of to your God and to the and to the your people. And now there's this kink which is 
the family's gotten bigger. Mm. How do these guys show their allegiance? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how do we live together if we're not doing it the same way? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's yep, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's hard enough marrying into another family when you're the same mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> country and yep, whatever. that's right. So let me so let me just add one more tweak here. Do you remember this multiple conversations ago? You remember the story where circumcision was introduced? Yeah, I was going to ask you about going back to that because because yes. Abraham. Yep. After God renews the covenant with him, right? Well, um, so Abraham and Sarah oppressed their Egyptian slave. Yeah. He had sex with her, and produced this child of their own plan. Mm-hmm. And what God says is, um, I'm going to bless that son, mm-hmm. make him a Ishmael. little Ishmael, make him 12 tribes. So he'll be like a pre-Israel Israel, 12 yeah. tribes, but he's not the chosen line. But what God does is both judge and deliver the future of Abraham's family. Remember the sign of super- circumcision uh-huh. is both ju- a divine judgment mm. on the part of Abraham's body that he just used to oppress their Egyptian slave, yep. cutting it off. But then also, it's marking it as the part of Abraham's body that contains the future yeah. of the family. The future of this family belongs to God. Mm-hmm. And what God tells Abraham is to then circumcise Ishmael to show that he's a part of your family. So circumcision was initially created for the inclusion of the non-chosen line oh. into the family of Abraham. Mm. And ironically, what circumcision became... By this point, was a way of keeping, right, of showing the clear boundary line between Israelites well, and non-Israelites. I, I suppose it always did both. Well, that's a good point. Uh, uh, getting circumcised didn't make Ishmael a part of the line of Isaac or Jacob and so on. But it was a way of including, yes, showing that I'm with Abraham. Yes. I'm a part of the Abraham team. So if you're not circumcised, you're not a part of the Abraham team. Correct. Yep. So it kind of does it does both things as it shows who's in and out, mm-hmm. creates the boundary line. Mm-hmm. But it also you're saying in the story itself, it shows how that sign is used to include. Correct. The, the origin of the sign is to include a non-chosen lineage within the family of Abraham. Yeah. And, yeah, that's interesting. And by the time that they're having this debate in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, circumcision has come to symbolize the isolation of Abraham's family among the nations, mm. the difference. Essentially, it had become a, b- a boundary line. And so the question is, do we still have to do that thing? Yeah. And very easily you could argue, yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah. He had Ishmael do it. Mm-hmm. He wasn't an Israelite. Or, yeah. Well, he wasn't, sorry. Yeah. The Israelites he, come from Jacob. That was yeah. his name. He was not born yet. So that's technically true, but he was a son of Abraham, but he wasn't uh, in the line of the seed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it wasn't required of him to get circumcised, but he was allowed to do it. So here's more people who are now identifying Mm -hmm. their allegiance with, with Abraham's family. Yeah. And the seed of Abraham, the the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus. Yes. And so, yes, get circumcised. That's the sign. Yeah. That's what you do. You could see that logic. Yes. In fact, that seems the most logical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Narratively. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is pushing in a different direction. (laughs) That's surprising. Hmm. And I guess that's just the thing I just, as the years go by, that's just the thing that keeps enduring 
sticks with me, <laughs> but also like pokes into me of the book of Acts is saying there are moments when the Holy Spirit wants to challenge the preconceptions of God's people. This is more than a preconception. What do you mean by preconception? Oh, circumcision is the marker of identification with Abraham's family. Yeah. It's a preconception that they have. But based but based off of the the scriptures. Yes. That's exactly my point. <laughs> that's exactly my point. Uh-huh. So so you could say the Holy Spirit is making them rethink what was previously yeah. revealed in scripture. Well, the apostle Paul is going to show how this was actually anticipated by the logic of the story of Genesis, mm. but we're not there yet. Okay. So just Luke's argument in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit does work in the lives of these non-Israelites. These are, it's surprising. I didn't think that yeah. God would work among these people mm. and they yep. want to follow Jesus as much as we do. Yep, it's happening. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and so then it just it it forces this culture clash. And I'm not trying to infer anything here. I'm just trying to just say this is the portrait in the book of Luke. Yeah. And it's been sitting there for 2,000 years, and it's not comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for them. And so I'm just trying to think of what does it mean to respond faithfully to this portrait of the work of the Spirit? Uh, I think that the different traditions of the church have had a very difficult time keeping this this kind of openness to the Spirit. And it's challenging because on the flip side, it's that, well, look at the scriptures. Isn't it fairly clear? Mm-hmm. But it was not clear in this What you're moment. saying here is, even though it's clear in the scriptures, there was stuff happening on the ground mm-hmm. where the same spirit animating them, yeah. showing that they're part of the family, Correct. is now, that, that's is right. now happening that's right. to non-Israelites. And so they have to deal with that. They're mm-hmm. like, well, God's spirit is in them mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. and and they are following Jesus with us. Yep. So so what gives? If God's spirit's in them, but they're not circumcised, what gives? And so they decide, yeah. I guess it doesn't matter. You don't have to get circumcised. Or they what they decide is it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. <laughs> That's what he says yeah. later on. That's what James says. Okay. And then notice he goes back and he goes to his Bible and he says, you know, there's this part of the book of Amos that stuck out to me. And that part of the book of Amos doesn't mention circumcision. Right. But what it mentions is all these Gentiles who are seeking the Lord and who are called by the name and included in the tent, the family, yeah. the household of David, right. the anointed one. And he says, man, you know what? This is what the story's been all about this all is along. This is what's happening. Correct. We should be glad this is happening. Correct. Let's not make it more yeah. difficult. So he's highlighting there's a part of his scriptures that he wouldn't have read or thought about this way earlier, but now he sees like, oh, yes, this is this is what it's been all about. And it's the, this is the dynamic of this is the dynamic of what's at work in Acts chapter 15. But you could still read the Amos passage and then say, great, and now go get circumcised. So now they all need to get circumcised. That's correct. So something happened yes. where they putting this all together yep. and they go, well, it seems like what the Spirit is doing is letting us know that yeah. circumcision is not on the table anymore. And that leap, how they got there, mm-hmm. I don't fully understand. Oh, I see. Uh, it's that these non circumcised followers, people are giving their allegiance to Jesus and the Holy Spirit is doing in them and through them the same thing he did with all of us who are circumcised. It's the Holy Spirit. And so he says it seemed, well, they write a letter 
Here's what they do in Acts 15. They write a letter, and in this letter, they said, We've heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, we didn't go tell them, say, go tell those non-Israelites to get circumcised, but that's what they did. And so um, they've disturbed you and unsettled you, saying you're not really on the Jesus team. And so it seemed good to us. We've come of one mind, he says, to select people to, to send with you, with Barnabas and Paul. It seemed good, I'm going down a few verses, to the Holy Spirit and us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And then they name those things. Yeah. That's the conclusion that they draw. Yeah. That's what they hear the Spirit saying to them. Well, they're allowed. They're apostles. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to push myself to not give an easy yeah. solution here. I want to sit with the same discomfort that they sat with. Yeah. And I'm feeling that discomfort yeah. very clearly. So, so you could say this way. There are moments when... Um, what does circumcision represent? It's a cultural custom that tethers identity, the identity of God's family to a cult, one particular cultural custom, that of a people group called the Israelites who live in this place in this time. And that's what the Holy Spirit is uh, bridging over in, in this story. And so what, what are we being taught here? We're being taught there will be moments when God's people are tempted to identify the family of God with my particular national or ethnic family. Yeah. And the moment that happens, we need to be very careful that we're not mistaking our kingdom for God's or my tribe for God's tribe and to be open to the fact when the Holy Spirit wants to blow the doors on that. And often that'll happen by God doing surprising things among people that I wouldn't have thought that he would show up and do work in. Yeah. It seems to me this is a very extremely relevant principle about how the Spirit works. Because, man, that temptation to take how my particular community or family or tradition has practiced the way of Jesus, and we've developed these traditions, and that's how you're supposed to do it. I mean, this is like the stuff of church splits and all yeah. this. Anyway. Right. Well, then the questions become, what's the guardrails? Correct. Totally. And then, that's right. But you have to take seriously here that that God is is actively working. That's right. Yep. Through his spirit in a way that made them have to, what's the phrase you used? Hmm. Second guess their preconceptions. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And even mm -hmm. though those preconceptions were rooted in. Yeah. In their reading of the Bible. And in their, in their custom. And so this, this whole set of complexities is going to be thrust upon Paul, the apostle and Paul, the apostle is going to establish some, guardrails, so to speak, uh, that represent, you know, what the Spirit is saying through him and his co-workers to those churches, because yeah. it's not just a free-for-all. Yeah. Allegiance to Jesus really translates into certain practices and a way of life, but that way of life on this trajectory doesn't involve circumcision, that cultural practice anymore. And so what we're going to do next is dive into some passages in the letters of Paul, because he was commissioned as the uh, apostle to the nations. And uh, what he has to say about the identity of the family of God has in incredible relevance for our own day. Reflection time today. Think of some ways that you have limited your freedom for the benefit of another. 
To be a good friend, you must limit your freedom to always do whatever you want and sometimes do what they would like to do. At least that's the message I've been trying to communicate to my kids. To be a good spouse, you must limit your freedom to flirt with anyone you want to. To be a good parent of small children, you pretty much never get to do what you want. To be a good employee, you can't just browse the internet all day because you want to, or else you'll probably get fired. The same goes for church. Just because you can do something, and you may even be right about it theologically, that doesn't mean you should do something. Remember, Even if you are right in your theology, if you are not acting in love, you are wrong. Perhaps out of love for your neighbor at church, you should limit what you say. Perhaps you should consider how your actions are enabling someone to sin. We must be aware of these things and do our best to act in love towards one another. And that usually means disadvantaging ourselves. 